Well, this is Richard Wilson. Welcome to the Family Office Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have with us Michael Scott from Canaper Newer Partners. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having us on. Much appreciated. Sure. And um, just to kind of give a little background, can you um, maybe share when you first got connected to the Family Office Club and your background in the cannabis space? Yeah, so let's see, it would have been, I think it was January 2018 that I uh, came across your material online. And, you know, it was about, geez, uh, you know, probably, actually, I think it was 2017 when I came across your material. And we were in the middle of a fundraise uh, in the cannabis industry. And uh, honestly, you've got some amazing content out there. So the ebooks. You know, uh, I came across it and then I found out about the network and ended up joining and becoming a member. So that's how I originally came across it. And honestly, I think I sent you an email after I was a member four or five months in that I signed up for your conference and learned what I learned. Our fundraise started going through the roof. Um, And some of that was certainly because of what I implemented from the learnings. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And, uh, but more specifically about uh, getting into the cannabis space, you know, I want to I want to ask you some questions that I think some people might be wondering whether they've you know heard one or two people speak at events or maybe they know somebody in the space. And I want to get into some of those questions. But to give uh, your answers in context, can you talk to us a little bit about Cannapreneur Partners, uh, how that came to be, and what your depth of experience is in the in the cannabis space? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've been in the cannabis space for, you know, going on three years. Uh, my background it was as a private wealth advisor. So I had run my own wealth management shop. I used to do the Ameriprise. We spun out, launched our own wealth management business. And, uh, you know, I was at the time over the, after the last seven to nine years started expanding as an entrepreneur. We were launching businesses you know, working with amazing operators and we would invest time and in helping them strategically, but would give the startup capital. And we we're having a lot of fun with that, you know, expanding as an entrepreneur while running the wealth management business. And then, you know, in 2016, uh, I was taking a sabbatical. I'd spent a lot of time studying, you know, the cannabis industry as I was looking for the most explosive industry out there. And, um, you know, the data was just compelling that, uh, this was an industry that, you know, when I was looking at it at the time, I just saw what I, what I felt to be a 90s tech boom, uh, coming. So, you know, that's, it was the entrepreneurial side that probably drove me to, to really look at the space. Uh, but ultimately in the end, it was, um, you know, seeing the firsthand benefits that cannabis uh, had on my own mother uh, was a was a really a comp- compelling component to actually drive me into the industry to feed in. Sure, sure, makes sense. And uh, before we started recording this, we were talking about the surprising thing that um, you know there's actually a theme of of doing good uh, while doing well and and being socially responsible within the space and how that was interesting to me because I think that those who are outside the space don't operate in it, just see headlines in the Wall Street Journal or on TV every now and then, et cetera, uh, might put it like either in a vice category or like a sin, you know, business um, with, you know, cigarettes and guns and alcohol or something. But um, I know you're a a family-oriented, health-oriented 
individual and an experienced business professional has had several businesses and the wealth management practices you talked about. Can you talk to the socially responsible angle and that theme that you're you're seeing uh, in the space? I, I I can, and uh, you know, and there certainly is stigma associated with the industry. You know, when when I was telling friends and family that I was considering getting into the space, you know, uh, a lot of them looked at me lacrosse side thinking, what? you got the successful business, you know, you own all these other businesses. You, you know, I think at the time I, I uh, owned seven businesses and people were really concerned about, geez, what about your patient, Mike? You know, and so here's what I'll tell you is the industry is, is, is riddled with stigma. And uh, my sincere belief is that over the next two to five years, that stigma, a lot of it's going to be squashed. And uh, as the education gets out there on what the industry is really about and the good that cannabis really does bring to the table, um, I think that'll, that'll change a lot of that skepticism. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, profits with purpose. That is, a, that is certainly a mantra and a component of our business. Um, and what I'll tell you is, you know, that, that's you know, been a philosophy of mine is that I think good entrepreneurs you know, making money should be a byproduct of, of building a phenomenal business and providing a great service or uh, product. And, uh, you know, Profits with Purpose is already baked into this industry. I mean, I can tell you there's a huge empowerment focus to, to kind of diversify the spread of wealth. There's a huge focus to help people that have been adversely impacted. And then the other thing that's really cool about this industry, Richard, is there's this cool component of just, just helping people from the grassroots up. And uh, we're very passionate about entrepreneurism and leadership. And so we, we love being able to work with these passionate entrepreneurs. They're just looking for an opportunity in life and a very, very explosive business. Right. Right. It makes sense. I mean, I, I agree. I think that uh, it's interesting. Uh, people outside of the business world who ask for money often say, Oh, you got to give back. You got to give back. But I agree with you. If you run your business the right way, you're giving back every day by treating your employees right, by compensating them fairly, by providing team members with upside, by delivering value to clients you're serving. You know, if you're constantly taking, then you're probably not running your business the right way. So, you know, it comes down to semantics if you get too worried about how people phrase, you know, what you do for other people to do good. But, um, you know, I, I agree with you for sure. Uh, so I want to jump into you know, maybe a lesson or two that you've learned about the cannabis space that others probably don't see on the surface of it. That's non-obvious, counterintuitive. Um, it could be a lesson very specific about cannabis or a lesson that was non-obvious just about investing in a fast moving area, you know, whether it's blockchain opportunity zones, you know, another niche area that like uh, stem cells or, or cannabis. Do you have, do you have one you'd like to share? Yeah, I think there's a few things that come to mind. I mean, number one, I think one thing about cannabis that I've noticed, I've now uh, had the opportunity to, to participate in three industries, the wealth management or, or finance industry, fitness, and now cannabis. And I will tell you, I was used to a relatively fast-paced industry uh, in, in my wealth management world. It has got nothing on the speed and the pace of the cannabis world. So one thing that was an adaptation for me, and I think for a lot tiptoeing in, is this industry moves at a fast pace. Now, partly because people are running around trying to mine the green gold. The other reason, though, is because there's so much uncertainty, regulatory uncertainty, funding uncertainty, 
people are just bouncing around and just trying to find their spot. So what I have found is as an industry, if you want to capitalize on the best investments, you have to be willing to move fast, but do not sacrifice accuracy for speed. Meaning if your due diligence process is, is eight hours, get those eight hours in, but do it fast. Don't spread it out over six weeks. Get it done in two to three if you can. So that's, that's one thing that I've seen. The other thing is there is a component, and we all have to remember that you know this industry did operate illegal. So in the early days, I don't see it a whole lot anymore. But my first year in the industry, you know, we really had to be focused on actually uh, getting uh, you know the very thorough background checks to make sure that you know people were on the up and up because you know investors got to be cautious when you have investors you know investing in businesses. Uh, that they know exactly, you know, who they're investing with, et cetera. So that's another component um, that I would say. And then the other non-obvious, and you touched on it a little bit, is that there's a lot of good that this industry is doing, right? So I saw the, the, the money-making opportunity that satisfied my entrepreneurial side. But my belief is when you can connect an entrepreneur to a purpose, uh, plus the money-making component, that's when the likelihood of success goes way up. My, when my brothers and I saw how cannabis helped our mother in, in truly this amazing way with her PTSD, that was like a miracle. I mean, it, we had a horrible incident that happened, and we saw this be the only ailment that helped her with her PTSD. And it was, I give, I, without exaggeration, Richard, it was like watching a miracle unfold before us. And when I saw that, I was literally like, wait a minute, this, this, the world got this wrong. There's a boatload of good. And then I started reading and finding, whoa, Israel's leading the world in PTSD studies. And you know what? It's proving to save lives from these ex-military that are committing suicide. And so what I'm looking forward to is, is the world really seeing what's going on with cannabis and the good. And it's coming, Richard. Right now, I would predict that, I, I believe probably about 65 to 75% of the media out there, if not higher, is positive press on cannabis. And what I think is we're going to see even more at a higher rate and a higher trajectory. The world will get educated. It's just going to take some time. And, and it used to be, by the way, the other way around. The media is doing a huge part to help transcend this industry. It used to be literally the polar opposite, you know, based on, you know, the, the data that was supposedly accurate that was put out there. So we're, we're seeing rapid change. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's great. And I do, I do think it's uh, changing quickly and um, we don't have time to dig into it in depth, but just the, the acceptance of medical cannabis treatments versus recreational uh, is very high. And like we've talked about before, there's a huge future in medical treatments that are just, you know, yet to get approved for different ailments, et cetera. But there's a ton of research going into that right now. So I think that's a high growth area that most people, even if you have a stigma around people for fun using cannabis, you know, to relieve someone who's been in chronic crippling pain for a decade and be able to get them past that or depression or some sort of, you know, uh, disease that is very, you know, high pain and be able to help relieve uh, some of that is something that most people can get their brains around and not be so judgmental or have a big stigma about that use of it, I think, yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you look at the statistics, especially on the medical side, I mean, there's so many polls out there on what consumers, you know, in terms of the consumer support on the medical side, but depending on which one you look at, Time magazines or, or some of the other ones out there, it's pretty much across the board between 90 to 96 plus percent of Americans believe medical marijuana at this stage should be legal. And if you think about that, uh, how often in polls do 90 plus percent of people ever agree on any damn thing, right? So that is compelling, Richard. I mean, it really is compelling. And I'll tell you, like I said, my brothers and I, we're in that belief. We, we know why that 90% is there. There's just way too many people talking about, oh my gosh, it helped me with my cancer. It helps me with my anxiety. CBD does this. I mean, Richard, the, the, the story with my mom, I mean, it was the worst episode we'd ever seen her go through with PTSD. She let canatonic quit breathing. She was actually at one of my businesses, my uh, CrossFit gym. She fell back, hit the ground, wasn't breathing for a minute and a half while we're on the phone with 911. And I kid you not, you know, and she, she suffers from numerous mental health uh, issues. And so when the paramedics got there, she, she wasn't willing to go to the emergency room. She declined due to her paranoia. We get her back to my house and we didn't know how to help her. You know, we're, my brothers and I are not trying to train psychologists or psychiatrists. And, and, and if you understand PTSD, it's this reliving of these horrible thoughts and fears in your mind you can't turn it off and so we she kept going through this episode at our house out of desperation my brother says mike let's let's try medical marijuana you know like we hear we read all this about it i went grabbed it i asked my mom if she'd try it uh, she did I, I am not exaggerating richard within five minutes i'm talking about a person that couldn't regulate her breathing was an emotional wreck that went from that to not just baseline, but she actually went to a place where she was uh, uplifted. She snapped out of it completely and was like, oh my gosh, where are my grandkids? They saw this. I got to give them a hug. Uh, you know, it's, it's safe to say we're absolutely convinced. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Interesting. Great. I mean, that's, uh, it's good that you found something I mean, that would help. And, and that was uh, early on in the experience of being turned on to the cannabis space, or you were already turned on to it a bit, and that's what led to trying this, and that kind of reconfirmed your interest in it? Or how did that order of events go? So I, I, I had been studying uh, cannabis uh, as an industry, and I had been studying billionaires for a lot of 2016 when I was on my sabbatical. That incident with my mom happened in December. And I was at the final stage of deciding, do I really want to jump into this industry? And when I saw that, my, that minute, it was like the second or third week of December, my decision was made. Within three weeks, I hired the top cannabis law firm that I could find, Vicente Cedarburg. They were on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, basically, I retained them and said, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for your all-star entrepreneurs that are operators that run businesses I'm looking to help bring funding capital, my own, plus what else I can bring to the table with investors. Uh, and I'm also providing, you know, business strategy, leadership knowledge, basically help get this business launched successful. Um, and so the way the law firm responded was like, hey, perfect. This is a very immature industry and a new market here in Massachusetts. You know, the cannabis market was really just getting started, you know, two and a half, three years ago on the adult use side. And uh, so what the law firm said is, you know, the two main things that, that we believe a lot of our clients need right now is actually those two things, 
literally capital is probably the biggest thing this industry lacks in Massachusetts. And then number two, they said, hey, there's just a lot of operators that lack business experience. So your business background will be a perfect fit. Took me about five months to find them. Uh, you know, I met a lot of players before, you know, I, you know, wrote the check, but, uh, but I did find them and they're all stars. We were pumped to find them. Great. Uh, that leads into my next question. Uh, with every type of investment, typically everyone says, oh, the team is most important, but, um, there's a couple challenges with that. Usually it's a very subjective thing, the team, you know, what is credible, what is, you know, a great team versus not where a number of years track record is tangible and their returns are tangible. Um, so in your space, when you're looking for great quote unquote teams or a great leader, how do you define that in a way that you've found is effective for the cannabis space? So we are really big on vetting teams specifically, you know, management and leadership on a team. We think that's one of the most important areas to vet. Uh, so here's what I look for. Number one, uh, we call it TOS, track record of success. Do the leaders and the key operators, entrepreneurs have a consistent and compelling track record of success? Because Richard, our, our business model is, is relatively simple. We will scour the world for the 1% entrepreneurial operator outliers to actually partner with, and that's why we're called Canapreneur Partners. We partner with the operators the entrepreneurs, and we'll also partner with the investors to help pull it all together. But, you know, in order to find those 1% players, we're, we're looking for that track record of success. So that's key. We're looking for alignment amongst that leadership team. You know, are they really aligned in what they're actually trying to solve? So if I, if I met with the CEO and I say, hey, what's the mission of this company? Ultimately, what does success look like over the next two, three years? If that answer sounds very different, and the chief operating officer, guess what? This is going to be an issue. That, that shows that there's a lack of alignment. So, so we'll look for alignment. We'll look at communication style. We'll look at, hey, is this team actually having real communication, real candid conversations? Are they making tough decisions? Uh, you know, in, in the workplace, a lot of times businesses aren't as candid as they should be. So, you know, we'll look at that. And then here's one thing we'll look at that's actually very specific to the cannabis industry. There's, a lot of teams that are plagued with this, and I, I, I look for it because this is something that we don't like to see in teams to fund, um, is there's, you know, what I call people that are one foot into the industry and one foot out, right? So I didn't do that. Look, a lot of people from the wealth management space or financial services, that's what they're doing. They're kind of tiptoeing in. Um, and, and so I find that to be very ineffective, right? Because what, what happens is you get players that, they see this green gold. Oh, they want to participate, but oh man, I don't, it's cannabis. I don't want to risk all of these other things. I got my securities license. I've got all these things. And so what happens is the uncertainty kind of creates a scenario where people will be one foot in the cannabis industry, one foot out. Right. And so we, we were really looking for teams where there's full commitment, where people are fully entrenched. Yep. They get it's cannabis. The stigma is not even in their mind. They've got to run a machine and, and create operational excellence. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, it's a reputational, what are other people going to think thing? Uh, it's a, how do I sleep at night and be okay this with myself? If it's a new idea and you're, you're new to kind of putting it on and, and seeing if you want that identified, you know, with yourself. And this is kind of a new experience in terms of a major class of a substance becoming legal and mainstream 
within our lifetime, it's really uh, a pretty unique experience. So I think that a lot of people just don't know how to deal with that um, on the investor and an operational level. And I could see, I've seen exactly what you're talking about just in running the family office club and seeing people who are kind of active in the space. Uh, some people don't wear it on the sleeve, but then if it gets brought up, they're like, oh yeah, we've got four investments in that area. But um, they don't say it sometimes unless they're in that circle of people that, that know about oh, yeah. it. You know. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Well, the stigma is still is definitely there. It's like if, uh, you know, as a team, if we all commit that we're going to, you know, do something and post something on our social media channels, you know, as opposed to people commenting publicly, I get the text messages from them, you know, is what happens, right? Because it has a lot of stigma, right? So, so people are, and this is why I think we've got a unique edge, Richard, in what we're doing, right? Because we know that and see that we're building a machine and a net to capture that, you, you know, because people want to get in. We're just one of the first here on the East Coast to boldly say, hey, we're doing it. We're putting our brand out there. And you know what? We're, we're happy to talk to both investors and operators in this space because we, we think we can make some magic happen. And, and by the way, we've already done it. You know, I mean, what we've done our first two, three years in Massachusetts, like, I think it's pretty damn phenomenal if I can toot this team's horn. Uh, you know, we've, we've found some amazing operators. We grabbed some amazing market share in this state. You know, we've got businesses that are they're launching. It, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a wild ride, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, I guess my last question is really about investors thinking through with any fast, hot-moving space. It could be cannabis, it could be blockchain, it could be a, um, a real estate space that's overheated and everyone's fighting over deals. Um, but especially when it's a, a relatively new area of expertise, um, when you're looking at valuations that are either high or they get high as soon as the revenue is positive uh, and a real team has been built out, it's not just an idea. How do you conduct thorough due diligence that leads to high conviction uh, when a lot of the groups might have, you know, six months operating history or a year and a half operating history, uh, maybe they have no experience in the industry. You know, you talked about a trend of success earlier when talking about evaluating teams. So obviously the team part is very central to this question, but are there any other things that um, you've learned about conducting due diligence in such a fast moving slash high valuation space like this? Yeah, so there's there. I've learned a ton in the last two three years. In fact, cannabis is such a intriguing, fast moving, and complex industry. I've learned more as an entrepreneur in this industry than any other. Uh, and I would also say over any other three year period of time in my professional career. Um, yeah, there's a lot of high valuations in cannabis right now. Part of that is because there's such high growth potential. That being said, I wish here on the East Coast I could find businesses that have two to four years of operating experience. It's such an immature industry. The vast majority of businesses that I'm seeing don't even have six months of operating track record behind them. Um, and But yet we'll see big valuations sometimes, right? So, uh, you know, how we address that is what we do is we'll get in the trenches and just talk to the operators and I'll tell you what we find. Uh, I'm going to say a good 75% of the time, they didn't even know how they came up with the valuation. So a lot of times they need help. And believe it or not, the cannabis industry, you know, if you, if you, if you approach them in, a, in, a, in the right collaborative way, they're, they're actually pretty easy to work with. 
the, the thing that doesn't work is if you come at the cannabis industry and you try to talk in Wall Street language, private equity lingo, there, it, it's like two worlds colliding. It, it just won't work. So what we do is we sit down with the operators and we just, we let them know, look, we're on the same side of the fence as you. We, we only want to partner with businesses that we're aligned with and we're absolutely confident we can help them. But we're absolutely confident two things. Number one, they're already going to be successful. But number two, we can boost that success to a whole nother level. So we'll sit down with them, try to understand how they came up with their valuation and share a different perspective. And believe it or not, a lot of times you can, you can have real conversations and get to a place that's, uh, that's a more balanced perspective on valuations. But we also, you know, our process, we have a very deep business designed due diligence process we call BVOS. Uh, which is called business vetting on steroids. Uh, you know, we got the funny acronym there that works in the cannabis industry, but we have a very thorough process. And if we get to all, if we get through the preliminary vetting and we get to that step in our process, it's very, very likely we're going to spend between 15 to 30 hours with these operators. And we're going to understand their business plan. We're going to understand their core values, their goals. You know, before we're going to deploy our capital, we're going to know the insides, the outs, and we're going to make sure we're aligned on all things, including valuation. But, uh, but I, I think that our, our process is key. I find with cannabis, the standard vetting process, Richard, is this. Wow, this looks good. This seems to make sense. It's like the lift of prohibition. Uh, let's listen to a pitch. Oh, two or three of my buddies got in. Okay, maybe I should come in. And, <laughs> and that's really a Especially with cannabis, you, you got to do a lot more than that because there's so many, you know, different nuances to this industry and, and risks that if you avoid the right risks, you can have immensely big ROI. Right, right. I love that you said that because exactly what I hear so many, maybe not family offices that are formalized, but so many private investors that are worth five to 25 to 30 million that really don't have any type of a family office um, and they see like one deal uh, that's in the operating business side, like every two to five months, maybe they see two cannabis deals the whole year or something. I've heard those exact words come out of people's mouth where there's, yeah. oh, there's a CBD company and it's just an idea, but he's got a great idea. Right. And uh, you know, I believe in them and, and you know, the valuation is at 5 million. He thinks it's going to be 10 million valuation a year. And, uh, and then like that is pretty much their due diligence, just kind of like bouncing that off a few of their friends. And then somebody comes in with them on the deal and they're like, yeah, I'll take a flyer on it. Like let's, right. let's do it. Right. And, uh, they're usually busy guys and, um, so, you know, it may or may yeah. not work out, but it's funny. So Richard, here's my take, right? There's a lot of family offices out there. I'm not trying to knock family offices. Uh, there are some out there that we've learned immense from, uh, that do a phenomenal do job with private placement due diligence. But I will tell you a lot of them, it's exactly what you described. They might be seeing one or two cannabis deals a year because a buddy mentioned something. Um, I got to tell you, your chances of getting the right cannabis business funded uh, and making great ROI, if you're seeing that type of deal flow, it's like throwing a dart and just expecting to hit the bullseye every time. It probably isn't going to happen. What we tell our investors is we believe our machine, our process, it helps reduce significant risk in cannabis and cannabis has enough risk already, right? And part of how we do that, Richard, you hit it right on the, on the head. It's about deal flow. 
We're all, right now, you know, we're already seeing 30 to 40 cannabis deals per month is what our analytics are showing with the, you know, with the internet, with, with all the social media, the web uh, work that we've done, the work that you and your teams help with. I mean, it's, it's been immense. We're trying to drive that to a hundred. I think we can be there in the next two to three months, but here's our deal is if we can see a hundred a month, we want to be in a position over time. To, to find one phenomenal deal per month. And just think about that for a second. You know, if you're getting one a year, what's the likelihood of success versus a hundred a month? You know what I mean? You, you know, when you have 80, 90, a hundred dates to prom versus one choice, the outlook can look very different. Uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And just between our family office club, uh, investor summits, workshops, and then our, Investor Relations Agency, the uh, the pitchdex.com, we we're getting a couple of deals a month, which is not a lot. And I just every time I meet the family office, like this morning, I spent an hour and a half with a five hundred million dollar family, and I told them, look, you have to you have to find that laser focus because after you look at 30, 50, 70, or hundred deals, um, everything changes, and then you can put them in order. And the top one percent is actually meaningful. And, you know, whether you're listening to this as a private equity fund or real estate fund or as a little private investor or as a big billion dollar plus family office, I think that's true. Uh, you know, everyone needs to be aligned and integrated throughout the whole organization and pointed in the right direction. If you don't have a clear direction and you're not sure about, you know, what you're trying to be smart at investing in, you might as well just trust somebody who's best in class to be getting you diversification in a smart way and not spreading your money randomly um, unless you really have a, a trusted best in class you know advisor to help you you navigate a space i couldn't agree with that more we emphasize that at our events we emphasize that with with clients like did this morning in the meeting so i'm glad that kind of came up uh unplanned here because i just think that's so central to doing well in direct investments it's just seeing enough flow to actually know what is it a average deal or a better than average deal Absolutely. I mean, on the investor side, you know, again, you know, as Canapur partners, we, we like to think we partner with both investors and the uh, entrepreneurial operators. And, you know, on the investor side, seeing that deal flow helps protect them because we have so much more choice. On the operator side, you know, it's not just capital, but, but we go further, right? It's, yeah, we want to bring capital to these 1% all-stars, but it's also strategic direction. It's systems. It's leadership, purpose-driven leadership. So we think that, you know, we want to deploy capital, but we also want to protect the capital and, and, and work with these operators to be phenomenally successful. And that's a win-win-win across all three parties, us, the operators, as well as the investor. And that, that's really our value proposition. And I will tell you, Richard, we, we've launched a $150 million fundraise. We are seeing a lot of crazy valuations out there. And we're seeing a, a lot of need for these operators to just even understand the basics of, of how to run and do a fundraise, how to get launched in the industry. Um, it's a great time to be in because there's a, there's a lot of need out there and there's a lot of upside ROI potential as well. Right, for sure. Great. Well, uh, if anyone wants to learn more about connecting with you, maybe they've got a deal, maybe they're a cannabis entrepreneur or they're interested in figuring out how you're have a holding company uh, works with cannabis investments. Uh, where's the best place to learn more and get some details on that tonight with your team? 
I would say the best place would be, you know, reaching out on canopreneurpartners.com. Um, so that has all of our contact information. You can also find us in social media. Uh, we're on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook. So we're on most of the major channels. And you can certainly contact us uh, as well by phone. But, uh, you know, I, there is a one-pager on our site that um, – uh, we actually have a fair amount of investors that will go online and download it, but there's a one-pager that we created that basically, in a nutshell, in one simple page, it's an infographic that explains everything that what we do. Great. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that, Michael. And uh, I think it'd be great to have you back in the future to talk about the medical space specifically or go through a bunch of statistics and numbers and give that high-level uh, view of the forest education uh, I'm sure there's uh, a couple other topics that we could be covering. So thank you for your time, and I look forward to seeing you at one of our uh, upcoming Family Office Club events. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having us on, Richard. Much appreciated. Take care.